Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Bibles this morning, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Join me there. Hallelujah. So you found yourself here on a Sunday morning, and we are officially halfway through a four-part sermon series called The Journey to the Manger. And of course, all of those who were involved in this journey had no idea that the journey to the birth of the Savior would be a journey to the backside of Bethlehem where a baby was being born to a couple of peasants. And yet we've looked in these last couple of messages at the journey of Joseph and also the journey of Mary. And for both of them, the the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ was quite an interruption to their lives. And for both of them, it required large adjustments. How many ever had to make adjustments in your life? You thought you were going one way, but God had a different plan for you. We learn both from Joseph and from Mary what it looks like to truly surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His will for our lives. God will not always take you in the direction that you thought He was going to take you. And we learn so powerfully that both Joseph, who had his life prepared, who had his Map all planned out, and all of a sudden, a monkey wrench was thrown into his plans. How he was able to do what God wanted him to do. And also, Mary, last week, Mary's sacrifice, Mary's surrender involved much more than her plans or her future. It involved her very body. The Son of God was going to invade her womb and live within her body and indeed to be part of her for the rest of her earthly life, right? Serving God will often require harsh and difficult turns that you did not expect. And that's what we learned. But today we're going to look at another group that also was on their way. They had no idea where they were going. All they knew was that there was a sign in the heaven. Something important was happening. Something incredible beyond their wildest expectations and dreams. They had no idea exactly what they would find, but I believe that the men we're going to look at in our Scripture, that they had great expectations for whatever it was that they were going to find. But what we're going to learn today is what happens when the thing that God has for you isn't what you expected. We're going to look at the idea of shattered 
expectations and disappointment in life. This is a message I've titled, Following a Star, Finding a Stable. And we're going to look at the story of the Magi as they journeyed to the manger. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, skipping down to verse 8 for the sake of time. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the precious blood of Jesus. I do praise you and thank you for the work that you are doing in this place, the work that you are doing in the lives of your people today. I'm praying that you would help us once again. Draw us in, God, to your presence and your power this morning. I'm praying that you would speak to hearts that are in anguish today. Speak to those who have dashed expectations, those who have Uh, expected one thing to happen, but God, you have given them something quite different. I'm praying, Lord, that you would help us to see that you are working all things together for those who love you. And I pray this morning, give us good attitudes and good hearts in the midst of disappointment. We thank you for all you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. It is often said this morning that disappointment is the result of false expectations. That is very helpful for you in your life. If you have a certain set of expectations this morning, if you have something that you expect out of life and it doesn't happen, it always leads to that very thing, disappointment. This is why, very, uh, this is why so many people uh, are disappointed about one year into their marriage. Because they had all these wild expectations of what was about to happen, and all of a sudden it's not the way they thought it would be. That's why many times there, there is, uh, you know, one year into having a brand new little baby, there is that wonderful euphoria of having a newborn in the house. And all of a sudden, that little one-year-old pops an attitude. And you thought, wait a second, I thought I gave birth to an angel. And all of a sudden, your expectations, false expectations, lead to the disappointment. This is what happens so often in life, and this is where so many of God's people find themselves at the end of a story where they expected one thing to happen, and something very different ended up happening. And so I want to look firstly at this idea of this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. 
it's a very powerful uh, reaction in life. And so I want to ask you this question as we think about these wise men. The Bible also calls them magi in a certain place. And these wise men, were they were indeed wise. They, the, the description that we have of them is that not only were they wise, they were from the east, they were probably kings or scribes, uh, they had some form of reputation that preceded them. These were important people. Not only that, but they were smart enough to figure out the astrological signs, that they looked at the sky and they saw something that caused them to get up off of their comfortable place and travel hundreds of miles in those days. Uh, traveling was incredibly dangerous, especially if you were a rich person and carrying large, vast amounts of treasure, as they were. And uh, something would have uh, caused them. These were not fools. They wouldn't do this on a whim. They began to follow something that they saw in the sky. And can you imagine what those expectations might have been? They had definitely read the prophecies of the Jews. They had known that for thousands of years, the Jewish people were expecting a Savior. They were expecting a King. They were expecting a Messiah to show up. And they had, they had interpreted wisely the Scriptures of the Jews to point at a certain time when a certain thing and the stars are a certain way. And they said to themselves, this is going to be the party of the century. This is going to be the place where the parade breaks out. This is where where all of the nations are going to gather and wonder at the amazing thing that is about to happen. We've got to be part of this thing. And that's why they loaded up their camels and journeyed from the east. They had large expectations. Could you imagine, after all of that, They found a barn. Man, that's not what I thought it was going to be. How do you react this morning? When in your mind you build up all of these amazing expectations of how something is going to work out in your life. And then when you arrive there, wait a second. This is just a barn. Where's the party? Where's the music? Where's all the where's all the the, the, the open bar, man? Where, what happened? How does it cause you to react in life? This is what this is a picture of a broken expectation. These men again had calculated the alignment of the heavens. They had journeyed for months. They were expecting a king in a palace. Have you ever uh, taken the, <laughs> the sad road of journeying through your high school yearbook? <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, you know, we have, uh, my wife and I, we have our high school yearbooks collecting dust in a box in our garage. And just for, uh, for entertainment's sake, it's fun to pull those out every once in a while. And look at all of the amazing expectations that we had for our lives. Not only that, but what everybody else wrote in your high school yearbook. And I think, did these people even know me? They said, Adam, you were, uh, you were a cool guy in math class. I can't even remember math class. 
Can you remember how many big dreams and big ideas and promises you had before you? Can I ask you, if you could go back and interview that 18-year-old version of yourself, all of the things that you would tell them, this isn't going to work out the way you thought. It's not going to be the way you think. It's not going to be how you thought. So many people come out of uh, high school or, or uh, graduate college with diplomas tucked under their arm, ready to go out into the world, ready to find the perfect job with the perfect benefit package, only to find that that job isn't as perfect as they thought, only to find out that it's not what they expected. How many couples stand at the altar and make incredible vows and promises with great expectations and tremendous possibilities, only to experience betrayal and heartbreak? How many people have expected a promotion in life, a promotion on the job? It's going to get better, but somebody else got the promotion. How many of God's people maybe even start a business with great dream and promise, and it's going to be great, but then it crashes and burns? What we see in these wise men is exactly this same story. It is wise men who give us fantastic examples of what to do when you've been following a star, but you end up at a stable. All right, so I want to give you three things to do when you find a stable in life. When you're following the star, when you see great things, but you show up and it's just a barn, and there's cows mooing, and there's sheep bawling, and there's goats goading each other, and there's poop on the floor, and there's a little baby there. What do you do? How do you react? This is what we see in these men. So first of all, when you find a stable, look for God. When you find a stable, look for God. It is not, this is not the only place in Scripture where God shows up in very humble circumstances. It becomes clear now to these wise men that they are, their journey is leading them to, to a tiny, humble place on the backside of Bethlehem. And here's the choice they have to make. Is this really the right place? Is this really the right destination that is the end of our journey? Is this really the place that the star was leading us to, that these months of preparation and our astrological signs, and it's all come together, and this, this is what we were supposed to come see? I believe that somewhere they had to make a decision. God must be here somewhere. God must be here somewhere. And that, beloved, that is the decision that you and I have to come to in our lives. That when you arrive at an unexpected place, God, you've got to be here somewhere. I don't know exactly yet. All's going to work out. But here's my faith. I believe you're in this somewhere. How about Moses on the backside of the desert? He has spent 40 years running from his purpose, running from his life for God, and now he's just doing the job that he is used to. He's tending the sheep, and he's out there in the desert, and he sees a bush. And he says to himself, what is this thing? 
What is that? Let me go take another look. And as he, as he is curious, his heart is sparked a little, he begins to examine a bit closer. God, could this possibly be you? What he couldn't find in the glories of Egypt, in all of his schooling, in all of his glory there, growing up as the grand, grandson of Pharaoh, he was able to find in a tiny burning bush that began to speak to him. Wherever you are this morning, whatever you're going through, whatever barn has shown up in your life, what you've got to do this morning is say, God, where are you in this? Where are you? I'm committed, God, to believe that you have brought me to this point and I'm going to find you. Verse 10, look at what they said. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And look what they did. They fell down and they worshipped him. Even in this most humble of circumstances, and yes, we know that scholars uh, uh, argue that this may not have been on the very night that he was born. It's probably within the first few years of his life where Jesus is there. And they, they've come and they've seen, but no matter where and when exactly it happened, they had to come to a decision that this does not look like a special place to us. This does not look like the arrival of Messiah, the great Savior of the universe. There's no banner out front. There's no parade. There's no marching band. There's no, uh, there's no people dressed up. There's no fanfare. There's no music. All they find is a simple family and a young child. And yet, when they found this place, it says that they fell down and they worshipped him. They said to themselves, God is here. And there is something more to this situation than I can understand. This is what I love about the Bible. This is why we know that the Bible is a divine book and not a human book. Because the Bible does not whitewash all of the flaws of its heroes. The Bible does not gloss over or candy coat the horrible mistakes that were made by some of the great men of faith, right? I mean, you think about Abram and the multiple mistakes that he made along the way. You think about David, his horrible sin of uh, adultery and then murder, and oh, on it goes. And you think of Peter, the one who started the church, how he blasphemed and denied the Lord three times. You would think, you know, if, if this was a Bible, a book that was written by men, that you know we would just uh, uh, edit those parts out to make our heroes look a little better in the light of history. But no. We know that when Jesus came to the world, if this was written by a human, they would have written something like, and there was, uh, and, and, you know, there was, uh, there was a, a, a great party, a parade, all the people of Jerusalem rejoiced, the whole nation of Israel celebrated, but that didn't happen. The only people that were there to notice were a few shepherds and some sheep. They just tell it like it was, right? But in the midst of this, here are these wise men. They have treasure. They have wisdom. 
They have some authority. They have some reputation. And they have to make a decision right here. This must be something more than we can see with our eyes. We trust that this journey has brought us to this moment because God has brought us here. Can I tell you this morning that your attitude, when you arrive at the stable, shows us your maturity as a believer in Jesus. See, weak believers and weak Christians, baby Christians, only see God in the great, amazing miracles. It's easy to see God in the great, amazing miracles. You know, when when people get immediately healed from some sickness. And yes, we all give God praise for that when when that happens. But see, uh, maybe it's possible you can see God in the great, amazing miracles, but you can't see Him in the difficulties. You can't see Him working and moving in your life even when you're disappointed. That is the sign of an immature faith. These men show us when they arrive at a stable they found a miracle of God. Not only in the pleasures and the palaces of life, but in the barnyard. I want to tell you, the greatest, some of the greatest moments of my faith and my Christianity have not been preaching before large crowds, but in prayer, prayer rooms where no one else is around. Some of the greatest moments of being closest to God is not you know, uh, in, in the Bible conference, sitting next to Pastor Campbell, some of my greatest meetings with God have been right here on that carpet when no one else was watching. No one else was there. See, when, when you find a stable, you need to find God. Look for God. Secondly, I want to show you, when you find a stable... Give your best. Again, verse 11. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I want to tell you that this is not our natural inclination. This is not what we always, it's not the first instinct to open up our treasures to people. Especially to uh, little, little children in a faraway country that we don't know. But here's these guys that when they found the stable, they gave their best. What happens many times and uh, what happens so often is that instead of giving the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh in our lives, in the midst of disappointment, what do we do? Either we don't give at all or we give half-heartedly. When we find the stable instead of a palace, we're often tempted just to give a token. Well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Let me just flip a a quarter in there. When the marriage isn't what we thought it was going to be, many people begin to emotionally withdraw, hold back. Instead of giving their best and giving their all, they give half-heartedly or not at all. Let me ask you this this morning, in the midst of your disappointment, your broken expectation, do you give your best to God? What is the difference between an average follower and an all-in follower? Many times it's revealed right here in the gifts 
that we give. The Bible says that these men gave the very best that they had to offer. These wise men understood that we have come here to honor a king. We've not come here just to pay tribute. We've not just come here to make an appearance and pad our resumes. We have come here to bring honor to whom honor is worthy. Matthew 5, verse 38. Jesus gives us this principle as he teaches us how to give and how to be real givers in life. He says, in, uh, he says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, then let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him for two miles. Jesus, he says that, the best way that we can show our love and our compassion and to bring greater glory to God is not just to do what is expected, not just to do what is required, but to give above and beyond even in disappointment. So what about you this morning? What about your faith? What about when you're in the house of God? What about when uh, the, the church isn't as full as you thought it was going to be? Or when that person that told you they were going to show up, they don't show up. We have a tendency there, don't we, to hold back. Well, I guess in the midst of my disappointment, God doesn't necessarily want me to give. John Maxwell, famous author, he he, uh, shared this story. He says that a couple years ago, uh, we took our kids to the Washington Monument. There was a two-hour wait to get to the elevator to go to the top. In my impatience, I walked up to the guy by the elevator and asked, is there any way we can get up there faster? He looked at me and said, you can go up right now if you want to take the stairs. And you know what he did? He went to the back of the line. (laughs) Sometimes we don't want to give our best. Average people don't climb stairs They want to ride the elevator. They want to get by by doing the least amount of effort. I just want to get to the top, and I really don't want to sweat. Does that describe your Christian life? Because it does not describe the lives of these wise men. They did not do the minimum required, did they? They went far and above what they had to do. You know what they could have done? They could have sent messengers on their behalf. That would have been very easy. They could have loaded up a camel for the gopher. You know who that is, right? The guy who goes for this and goes for that. Every, every, uh, every boss on the job has a gopher. I want you to go for this and go for that. And so these wise men, very easily, they could have sent a gopher. They could have loaded him up on a camel and give him you know, a couple of nice things and say, hey, go for me, stand in my place, and bring honor to the new king, if you can find him. But they didn't do that. They didn't do the minimum required. They went above and beyond. Some things you've got to get up and go do on your own. Can I tell you, nobody in this life can build your relationship with God except you. Nobody can pray for you the way that you can pray for you. 
Nobody can pray for your family the way you can pray for your family. And it's also true that nobody can give for you. Giving. A life of giving. We have this mentality in America of, let me try to do as much as I can with the least amount of effort possible. It leads us to a life of laziness, uh, uh, a microwave expectation that, you know, I want my, uh, I want my uh, bowl of ramen noodles and I want it in 60 seconds or less. And we expect that God works the same way. We expect that we can get by with a minimum amount of effort or only half-heartedly. So what about you and your life? Especially when things haven't worked out the way that you thought they would. Wise people, people who have something to give, understand what it means to give extra effort. To stay late when nobody else wants to stay late. To double down, to make phone calls, to pray for people. Even when you yourself are experiencing heartbreak. This is all today for the glory of the Lord. Jesus Christ. Finally, we want to look the last thing that we do. When we find a stable, following the star, but finding a stable, the last thing I want to share with you is this. In verse 12, it says that then being divinely warmed in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Everybody say, another way. When you find a stable, be willing to change your direction. Did you hear that? Be willing to change your direction. Now, we we skipped over it when we read it originally. But as these wise men come into town, uh, again, their reputation has preceded them. And they gain an audience with the uh, ruler of the area, King Herod, as he is known. And he is the same one who's been persecuting the Jews and slaughtering their two-year-old children because he is uh, is, uh, is being threatened by the promise of, of the Jewish king, the Messiah, which is to come. And so he says to himself, no problem, I can take care of this. I'll just kill all of their two-year-old sons or less. Right there in the middle of a Christmas story. How about that? And so this is the same Herod who's uh, executing and causing such damage and harm to the people. But, But these wise men, they come into town and they have an audience with Herod. They have a little conversation. And Herod tells them, he says, all right, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you go and find the guy. I'll let you go and find who you're looking for. But here's what you should do. After you've found him, come back and tell me. Come back and tell me. And so they said, sure, yeah, no problem, king, no problem. And then after, <laughs> after they found Jesus, after they found the Christ child, It says that here in verse 12, they were divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. Now, I want to ask you, how is it this morning that they came to this direction-changing decision? What changed between the time that they met with Herod and the time that they were going to go back to him? Let me tell you what changed. They met Jesus. They found God in a place that they did not expect. Even Jesus, as a very young child, had a way of changing the direction of their lives. And I want to tell you 
And they were able to hear from God. And they were able to change their direction. What about you this morning? I believe this is what Christmas is all about. Let me share with you this story. Over a century ago, there was men following with bated breath the march of Napoleon in France, waiting feverishly for news of the war. And all the while in their own homes, babies were being born. But who could possibly think about babies? Everyone was thinking about battles. In one year, there stole into the world a host of heroes. Gladstone was born in Liverpool. Tennyson was born in Somersby. Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Massachusetts. The very same day of that very same year, Charles Darwin made his debut in Shrewsbury. Abraham Lincoln drew his first breath in Old Kentucky. And music was enriched by the birth of Felix Mendelssohn in Hamburg. But nobody was thinking about babies. Everybody was thinking about battles. But I want to tell you, this year of 1809, everyone was thinking about battles when there were so many amazing babies being born. We fancy, we, we think that God can only manage his world through the big battles of life. And all the while, he's doing it through unexpected sources. Babies being born. That's why a baby is such a joyful thing to bring into the world. The promise, the hope, the joy. When God wanted to change things, he did not send a warrior. He did not send a a Thor, or an Iron Man. When God wanted to change the world, he sent a baby. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Not only did he change the, the direction of these wise men's lives, can I tell you, he has the power to change the direction of your life this morning. If you will be open to him, if you will open your treasures to him, if you will be willing to find God in a humble situation, circumstance. And he has not only the ability, but the authority to change the direction of your life this morning. So how about, what about you in your life? We think that we know all the best ways for our own lives. We think that we know what the right decision, what the outcome will be. If these wise men would have returned to Herod, it would have been very bad for everyone, not just for them, but also for Jesus. I want to tell you, God was able to change the direction of their lives. And he can do for you also. Proverbs 3, verse 5, one of my life verses, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will do what? He will direct your path. This is what God ultimately wants, isn't it? He wants the ability to steer the direction of your life. And you can't tell me how in love with Jesus you are and how great of a Christian you are if he does not change the direction of your life from time to time. And so this is what we find in the midst of disappointment. In the midst, here's these men. Again, they're following this star for who knows how long. From hundreds of miles away from the east, they have figured it all out. And when they arrive, they find a humble baby in a manger, surrounded by hay. But even in the midst of this disappointment, God was able to change the direction of their lives. 
How about you this morning? Can God still change the direction of your life even through disappointment? Let's bow our heads today and close our eyes. As we allow the Spirit of God to help us once again, to convict us and draw us closer to Him. I believe that by His Spirit, He is here today. The Spirit of God is here knocking on the doors of our heart. The Bible says this morning that we are all, we have all come into this world as enemies of God. We have all come into this land, into this place. We have come here with our hearts being darkened by sin, separated from God. We've all done things that we're ashamed of. We've all done things that we wish nobody else would know about. They bring fear and shame and guilt into our souls. This is always the result of sin and disobedience to God. It brings separation from Him. Our sins are so many, so grievous. And yes, you might look at somebody else and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person or this person. I don't do what they do. But that is not the standard that God uses. When He judges you, He judges you based on His laws. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not blaspheme. And if we would judge ourselves honestly according to these laws, how many know we all fall short? Every single one of us. We've all fallen short of God's glory. There is none who deserves His righteousness. What we deserve this morning is we deserve His anger and His wrath. But, In this Christmas season, I have some wonderful news for you. That even though you and I, we have all fallen short, the human race has done so much violence. The good news is this. God still cares about you. He still loves you enough to do this amazing thing called the gospel of Jesus. It's the story of a baby in a manger. The story of lives changed through an infant. And here we have, in our scripture, we spoke about these magi. Their lives were forever transformed. And they surrendered to Jesus. I'm wondering about you here today. Will your life be changed? The only way to deal with the sickness of sin is to take the cure of Jesus Christ in Him. Jesus was more than just a baby in a manger. We know that He grew. And He became the man that gave His life for all of us on the cross. He shed His blood so that our sins could be washed away. And in this place this morning, I'm asking, what about you? We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.